The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest podcast. This is our first one actually from spring training, so we're glad that you could join us. Monday was the first full workout for the Rays. It is spring training, and Tuesday begins live batting practice, and then, of course, first spring training games over the weekend, and we'll have them for you on the Rays Radio Network. Uh, On this podcast, you're going to hear from a trio of relievers, each trying to make the club, and really each with slightly different stories. Uh, For one, you'll hear from Kyle Crick. He's got the most experience in the majors among the trio, nearly 200 big league outings. He's a non-roster invite. He's out of options. So kind of similar to a Hunter Strickland of a little ways gone by. Uh, Once he's put on the roster, he's got to stay there or be passed through waivers and potentially picked up by somebody else. Trevor Kelly is a guy who still has options and already has, well, I guess you could say briefly, was on the Rays roster. He's been with five different major league clubs. He's been great in AAA, and the Rays are hoping to unlock him if he's to get to the big leagues here. And then the third reliever that we'll chat with is Kevin Kelly. Different spelling than Trevor Kelly, no relation. He is a Rule 5 pick, and what that means is he has to stay on the major league roster or be passed through waivers if the Rays want to take him off unless they can work out some sort of deal with the team they got him from. That's Cleveland. Uh, And we'll also chat with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Topper's been here for every spring training. Certainly this one's a little bit unique for a lot of reasons, and Mark has been covering spring training and the Rays since the beginning. But let's begin with Kyle Crick. He's got a really good backstory, and you're going to hear about that, and some pretty interesting ties to the Rays. First, I asked him why he ended up signing a minor league deal with Tampa Bay. I think it all boiled down to um, the success they've had in recent years with with guys in similar scenarios as me and and getting guys to maximize their potential whereas maybe some other teams couldn't couldn't fully see that potential and I think when you ask people who have been through the race process and around the race people they they only have tremendous things to say and and once enough people say it it's it's got they got, they kind of have to have something so I I had to check it out for myself and I talked to Snyder and Cash and, and Ibach and, and Jason. I talked to a lot of people, and they just seemed like good people. You know, They just seemed like they cared, and they wanted to get me better. And, and that's kind of ultimately why I chose here, because I, I really felt, I felt they cared for my career, and I felt they'd like to see me be better. So that's why I chose. Who were the – was this the first time they pursued you, or had this happened before, and you said, okay, now's the right time? Yeah, I think we've had we've had some talks within the agency with the Rays, but this specific off season, it was more me going after them too. It was a mutual thing, uh, you know, because I really want to see what they have for me. You know, I want to see what their analytics department says about me. Now I want to hear, you know, I want to hear what Snyder has to say about me because. If there's the best in the biz, you know, Snyder's up there with the one, you know, he's probably the best. So if I'm going to prolong my career and get and maximize my potential, I feel I feel Snyder's going to be, you know, the guy to help me do that for sure. Who are the people that you talk to about the Rays that had given you the feeling that this was the right place, right time, and the place to pursue? I'd say uh, so I share an agent with Kit. Uh, Brian and and I, I pick his brain and he 
me and Kit really didn't know each other until I got to camp, but we had kind of like talked to each other through Brian a little bit and kind of tested the waters, and, and I asked him a few questions through Brian. And that was the first, one of the first guys, but I lived uh, six or seven off-seasons with Michael Walker. We'd stay together in, in uh, Dallas area, and he only had tremendous things to say. So he is a really good dude, very trustworthy, genuine guy. So whenever he says something, you listen to him. And, and he only had great things to say about the people, about the org, about, you know, pushing him to be better in his career. And he had a tremendous year last year, you know, so he learned something. You know, he really, I think he, he took on, he took hold of something and brought it into this next year. And uh, that was another guy, that was the second one. And then Glass, obviously, is the is the, the guy, that brain I've picked the most. And he's given me an intimate, you know, feel on uh, Snyder about how he works, about you know how relatable he is and personable he is and and ultimately it comes down to him him walking our path he's done it you know he's done it he's failed he's been hurt he's had success he played you know he played it for an extended period of time so he really understands on an emotional level and a mental level about what we're going through when we're not when we're in a rut or what we're going through even when we're unconscious and we're pitching really good he gets it he gets both sides of the of the road so that's unique that's not everywhere and and uh the ability to to communicate that analytic side to the player, kind of put it in layman terms and, and make it more understandable, that's not anywhere else either. The, there, it's, it's usually There's usually a void in between there when you talk about analytics and, and you talk about how to apply them. There's a void there other places that's really, it's a communication void. You don't really kind of know what they're talking about. It's not like that with Snyder. His cues are very simple. He, he's, not, he's not overdoing it, he's not overcooking it. And he sees something, he's got an elite eye. He'll see something, just give you a little cue. You know, it's uh, it's different from what I've experienced, and um, so far it's been so far it's been a, a a pleasure. And you had mentioned walking in your path. You've been through your fair share of tragedy, uh, just a couple of years gone by. That's right. Yeah, I lost my brother a few years ago, and then a couple months after that, my dad passed away too. And that and that was a pretty dark time for me. You know, I had a I had a choice to make and who I could become and which direction to go. And I think. You know, when you, when you experience tragedies, it pushes change. And change is uncomfortable, and you don't ever want to do it. But it's usually for the better. So I think it opened my eyes to the relationship part of life, about, about staying closer to my family and just enjoying the people who are on this planet, you know, because that's all we really have. You know, money and everything else is fine, but people and the relationships, the experiences, that's all we actually have, you know, and that's kind of what it woke me up to, is that we have this finite amount of time, you know, it's limited, so we might as well use it to our best abilities. How helpful was Tyler during that period? Because you stayed with him. You guys were together through the pandemic, right? That's right. That's right. Tyler was my shoulder to lean on. You know, he kind of took me in, called him after uh, spring training 2.0 and just kind of talked to him. And he was like, hey, man, why don't you come out and live, live here with me? And I said, man, I, you, give me, you give me a day and I'll be there. So we, we stuck pretty close in 2.0, played a lot of catch picked each other's brains and you know I really needed a friend in that time and that's exactly what Tyler was for me he was you know he was like the you know, the brother I needed then he really was the Rays are great about accentuating what someone does well more than anything else and I don't know if you've heard that in the conversations already that you've had but Kyle when you are well what is what goes best for you I'd say the best that when I'm really doing it I mean I'm a are we if, from a pitching standpoint, I'm a horizontal guy. So if I'm if I'm really doing my thing, 
I should I should be getting 20 inches either way on my horizontal. My sink should go 20 this way and my slider should go 20 that way. And and as you see as you see the big leaves kind of progress, you, you see trends start to uh, form and you kind of see that fastball at the top with that, that bender going down off of it. That's been a trend as of late. So I was thinking, you know, every every four or five years, the trend kind of switches back to the horizontal guys. So I was thinking I could get ahead of that because I used to kind of be that uh, that plus hop guy with the carry through the zone and all that. But as my arm angle kind of crept down over the years, I became a sweepy slider guy. So the horizontal movement was elite, and I kind of just rolled with that because it, it, it got the best results for me. And then last year, I actually started throwing a one-seam, uh, Clay Holmes' uh, grip on his sinker. Um, played with him in Pittsburgh, and kinda, he kind of showed me a few little little tinker things, really all it is. But he uh, he's really into that. I mean, he's always been really into it. And once he kind of figured out exactly what it all meant with the gyro and the IVB, he got it nailed out. I mean, he, he almost broke Mariano or did break Mariano's record, so I thought... I think he uh, figured something out there. So I, I called him during the year and kind of picked his brain about his grip. And it really is. I mean, it works It works for me, I guess, in that slot. So I kind of, I, I basically started throwing that exclusively over the four seam. I'd, I'd still hit the four seam at the top of the zone every now and then. It's just kind of keep it in the bag. But last year was the first real year that I became kind of a sinker slider guy. And I guess health-wise, too, you're in a pretty good spot. Great I know spot. that's great spot. I had a TOS at the end of the year. I was having some issues with uh, numbness and tingling and coldness, and pitched through it for a while, and got to a point where um, I, I didn't, I wasn't getting the right blood flow to my hand. I couldn't get the sensation of touch, so we kind of had to address it. Then got a Botox shot, and a Botox shot kind of took everything away. And I went through the process, and about two months left in the season, we decided I had to get TOS, which is the rib removal, pec thing, and and so far, so good, man. I, I went to TMI. I had a great, um, a great off season with Meister's people, the Rangers doctor in Texas. He's got a really good facility. Had a really good PT guy in Daniel, and I just got to work, man. I, I had an advantage, you know, um, getting done with the season a little earlier than everybody else, so I could get, you know, I could get onto my legs a little bit more. I could get into running a little bit more and some explosive training. So I did. I took that as like a, a head start versus a step back. You know, I was like, okay. You know, if guys are making the playoffs, I'm going to have two or three months on them as far as recovery goes. So I'd like to to put myself in the advantage situations when I can, the positive places. So, yes, I had surgery, but I did actually have two or three extra months, too, you know, post-surgery. So I'd like to, you know, I like to say as positive as I can about it. So I think I'm in a good place, put it that way, Neil. Well, hopefully this is the good place for you, and we appreciate a few minutes. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate it. What a really great conversation was one Kyle Crick, again, one of three relievers we chatted with. Trevor Kelly is another, and he was very briefly put on the Rays roster. Tampa Bay uh, had put Andrew Kittredge on the 60-day IL and added Trevor Kelly to the 40-man, but uh, they had to rescind that move, uh, or it had to be pulled back, because if you're a non-roster invite, you can't be put on the big league roster until March the 15th. And that's actually when Trevor Kelly has an out. So the Rays technically could be able to do something similar in the middle of March. Uh, as far as Kelly goes, uh, I asked him why Tampa Bay was attractive to him. You know, it's always been attractive, just the outside looking in, all the success. You know, the the guys that have really turned their careers around just being through the doors here. Um, 
was always attractive to me and I've always heard good things about this organization having friends come through it um, and then, yeah ultimately it, it, that was the deciding factor and you know I just want to be a, a little part of it so who were the friends that you had conversations with and what maybe finally was the turning point and say hey okay it's time yeah so obviously Eflin came over here I was like it's going to be like old times. And then uh, Greg Jones, we train in the off season. Uh, you know, Blake Butera. Um, I have Landon Lasser that came through here. Michael Russell just being old college friends. And, you know, they, they had a great experience here. And just um, Cooper Criswell, another uh, Carolina guy. And just, it just seems like an easy fit here. The reputation is certainly more so on the pitching side. What kind of things did they tell you, and what were you hoping, are you hoping to pick up while here? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously I have a lot of confidence in AAA. If I can bring that confidence to the big league level, I know I'm effective just on about every roster. So if I can help out in any way to just get the same results that I do in AAA, I think there's something there. So, The Rays have a reputation for unlocking guys. Jason Adam comes to mind as a guy last year who really took off, and they focus a lot on what you do do well versus what you don't. What do you do well when you're going well, Trevor? So just uh, I'd like to say when I'm do- going well, the fastball up and in is probably where I see myself having like just my nastiest stuff, getting like just weak, weak contact or just just – blatant swing and misses like that's that's my goal is just to kind of get in and out of an inning and uh you know in the at the big league level sometimes I'm probably just overthinking and you know hopefully we can mess with a few things and try and iron that out and I'm just trying to get the same results that I do in triple a and that's it conversationally what's it been like the first few days in camp for you and, and what has stood out you know, it's it's definitely a good environment, a good working environment. Um, just kind of putting an emphasis on certain things that you know hasn't really been with all the places I've been, hasn't been like this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to approach it. And I really think that you know, there's no secret like it's out there. The success in the last five years, you know, that's what I see, and and just now being a part of it it's all making sense like wow that's why they do things the right way here you've been with some analytical organizations um were the conversations different in free agency with this one than others yeah um definitely it, it you know every everything that was relayed was it, it holds true so that that was one thing but you know analytically speaking it's you know, coming from the Brewers that I feel like are analytic-driven as well, you know, they, they really pointed out uh, what I do really well and then really just give me the chance to prove that at the big league level and then getting designated and then elected free agent. Um, you know, the race stepped in and I'm like, this is why we like you as well. And, you know just seeing look outside looking in you know the Rays was just a no-brainer the Rays also have I don't know if you got to talk to even Justin Sua as of yet but they're really strong on the mental health 
and, and, and the mental side of the game. Have you had conversations yet, and how much can also that be a benefit? So Justin was with the Red Sox when I was there, and to be honest, I don't think I would still be in this game if it wasn't for, for Justin. You know, really bringing me through some life-changing moments um, and just having a better understanding of who I was at that time. I honestly credit Justin to so much of of where I am now. So I, I couldn't be happier being reconnected with him, and I, I look forward to working with him every single day. I think he's the best in the business. Did that play at all into coming here? No doubt. I texted him right away, and he texted me saying, let's go. Um, but I tell everyone, like, this guy is, is the best. So it, it really means a lot. It's a personal level to me to be with him, and I, I think it's mutual too. And the other area where this group seems to excel is on the medical side, um, the training staff here. Is there, are there any things that you've picked up just that are a little bit different from what has been done before at other, the other handful of organizations you've been? Yeah, it's pretty much the same everywhere, everywhere. Like, especially now, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see as it, as it goes down, but everyone's just, you know, class act. Everyone's very professional, and, you know, that's, that's where you want to be. So. That's one of two Kellys we chat with on this podcast, Trevor Kelly, and next up is Kevin Kelly. Now, Kevin Kelly is no relation, and unlike Trevor Kelly, he didn't choose to be with the Tampa Bay Rays. In fact, he was selected in the Rule 5 draft back in December, and I asked him what that whole period was like. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a little hectic. Um, uh, I was first being drafted by the Rockies and then like not really knowing what was going on with the trade and everything like that. Um, so that was kind of just hectic sitting there on my phone, like, uh, what's going on here? Until I get a call from uh, uh, the assistant GM here, and uh, or GM here, and uh, yeah, um, it was. I, I was, you know, I was paying attention. I didn't really know if it was going to happen or not, but it was definitely cool to be selected. And what were the conversations like after that? And how his your off? How was your off season thereafter until spring training started? Uh, you know, it, it's, we had some good talks about stuff I could work on and um, uh, little little changes I could make. Not not many big things. And uh, off season was mostly the same. Just was able to stay home and be with family, which was great. Um, and, and yeah, until I got here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your storyline. And you, I know you got to AAA last year, but you know your your pitching career and how you've evolved. Uh, yeah. Um, so I drafted in 2019. Um, and you know was like mid-major I guess mid-round guy so uh, you know spent a lot of time that offseason working lost a lot of weight um, uh, short my arm action a little bit and came back throwing harder um, the COVID season was another like great time to get work in so that that helped a lot my development process and then just yeah kept, kept pitching well until I got here. <laughs> Now, the, the reputation is you're very good on right on right. Is that something you've always been good at? It's something that evolved in what's your arm action like for our fans who are going to see you for the first time in spring training? Yeah, I definitely. So to righties, you know, I throw from a lower slot, like sinker slider. So, you know, they have a lot, like, more trouble with that arm angle than lefties do. Um, so that's just kind of always been my thing is getting righties out. Um, so I'll, you know, mix those two together and, and to lefties too. Um, Obviously, it doesn't work quite as well, but, you know, still pretty effective. You know. When, because, you know, as a kid, everyone's usually right over the top. So when did you start throwing 
more from the side and how did that develop who who helped you kind of learn that uh, it was probably around when I was like 10 or 12 10 or 11 or 12 uh, I was just you know playing around playing catch with my dad and I dropped down on a couple and he was like oh, you, you have better command from down there you should just keep doing that and kind of just from there kept working on that you know I'll mix in like higher slot lower slot uh, just always you know since high school been able to be pretty proficient at that um, so yeah just early on did you grow up as a fan of the game and watch any guys, you know, at the big league level and say, boy, it would be great to be like that someday? Uh, yeah, my dad was a huge baseball fan, so he got me into it when I was like three. And, I, I, you know, I was watching MLB games. There wasn't any, like, specific pitcher or anything, but um, just kind of had my own way of doing things and then just kind of slowly evolved into where I am now. Yeah. You've got a guy in Ryan Thompson in camp who... I don't know how different the arm slots are, but he does drop down a fair amount. How much have you chatted with him or picked his brain? Because there are a few guys in camp who do drop down too. I haven't had a good chance to talk to him yet. I haven't talked to Andrew Gross a little bit. He's you know uh, been in the system here. Uh, he's got a lower arm angle too. Um, but yeah, I, I got to talk to him some more. It's been a pretty crazy week here already. So just getting to know everybody still. And what um, in terms of you know this camp this opportunity what what have they talked to you about and how excited are you because the race do have a reputation for helping pitchers i'm really excited you know i came from a you know good pitching order already with cleveland um so it's you know a lot more of the same here it's good to get other opinions on everything so definitely super excited um there's been a lot of good stuff already interesting perspective from one kevin kelly and uh again one of three relievers that we highlight on this podcast that's trying to make the race roster not a ton of uh, roster spots really to be determined barring a, a slew of injuries and look that certainly could happen during the course of a spring training now time to chat with one mark topkin of the tampa bay times he's been covering everything uh that is tampa bay rays since the beginning and topper certainly it's a, a little bit odd to be in the orlando area a little bit of deja vu too it is a little weird and, and you know obviously having been here in 07 and 08 when the rays played regular season series here but I can find I found people who can date themselves further than I. Jared Sandberg and a couple of the other staff were on the team that played here when it was a raised double A team, like back in the 04 era, give or take a couple of years. So I'm not the oldest standing around person here at least. There you go. As we have this conversation, we are through the first full day of team workouts. What stands out in this first week of camp uh, to you? Well, I think a couple of things that I know it's, today was full position player day, but I think it's been hard not to kind of be talking about the pitching. It's been a very popular subject of conversation, of interviews, of you know both local and national coverage, I think, of how good this rotation could be, how deep this rotation could be, the fact that it's got, you know, the two guys at the top, it's easy to talk about McClanahan and Glass now, but the fact that the one through five depth, so that's really stood out. And then, you know, I think we probably were, you know, kind of led to look for this, so we feel that way, but just the shape that Wander Franco is in, uh, and, and what struck me, Neil, and, and maybe more so than just the physical shape, but just he's laughing, he's joking, he's playing with joy again. And we didn't see that a lot last year. He was a pretty miserable guy last year for good reason. Never been hurt. You know, he'd signed the big contract, wanted to live up to it. You know, wanted the first full year in the majors. And, you know, the leg injury, which, you know, they finally ended up putting on the injured list. You could just see how that much was bothering him. And then he comes back and needs a little bit of time to get going. He starts getting going a little bit. And then he breaks the hamate bone in Cincinnati and misses, you know, what, another couple months or so. So... I think those two things stood out the most to me so far. 
And he, obviously, he came in in great shape, as you mentioned, and he's not the only one who came in smiling. Brandon Lau did, too. And as we both talked to him the other day, he's smiling for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, and look, you, you know, as well as I do, Brandon is not the most um, candid. He's usually fairly guarded. He's very good. He gives you thoughtful answers, but he's usually fairly guarded. And I thought he was uh, remarkably candid when we talked to him the other day about um, not just the back injury and his hopes for the season, but a very personal matter. Uh, nearly a three-year um, battle, really, with infertility that he and his wife, uh, Madison, went through. They had some miscarriages in there, and you know, since January 2020, they made a decision to try to start a family and just dealt with so many setbacks, heart-wrenching type of things that you know you, you don't, never want to see anybody go through, and they had them repeatedly. Uh, and then a few weeks ago, a few weeks early even, they get a beautiful baby boy, uh, delivers, everything's good, the baby's healthy, and yeah, I thought Brandon's comments about his moment seeing the baby for the first time, how it broke him, was probably the most you know emotional, raw thing he's ever said. Which, awesome, you could, you could see how much it's touched him. And look, we've seen over the years, players begins life as a dad. It can change them in a really good way. It can. And, you know, look, I, I don't, and this isn't to suggest anything about anyone we're going to talk specifically about. But, yeah, there's players who, even though they, maybe they're married, they still have other interests besides the baseball game and you know going home right after things like that and I think you do see guys when they start to have that family that really changes their focus and you know Brandon said yesterday you know his number one goal in life now is to raise uh, their son as well as he can and you know he cited the example of you know he doesn't really care what people say on social media anymore he doesn't really care what people say about him you know just kind of you, you narrow your bandwidth you got to put your attention somewhere and his attention right now is going to be on Emmett Dean not you or me on Twitter. And if you live 24-7 about what's going on around you, obviously it can be much more difficult, and it does allow guys to decompartmentalize a little bit, and that's important too. Um, and they're not the only interesting stories in camp. I mean, you did a wonderful piece talking about heartbreak and, and challenges of Zach Eflin when we get back to the starting pitchers. Yeah, and that was something that, you know, I, I'd heard, literally just been told, you know, there's some interesting story with his sister. You might want to look into it, and, and then just, you know, doing some research and, then obviously talking with Zach, who was very open about it, and talking with his father, who also was open about it. You know, again, just a remarkable story of, of human perseverance. I mean, Zach was very young, but he had a sister die. Uh, they had a rough situation domestically where his mom and dad got divorced over some alcoholism issues on his mom's side. Uh, he has another sister who's special needs. Um, as part of all that going on, they had some financial issues and as far as having a place to live. So. A guy that just, it would be very easy, I thought, to be resentful. I mean, we're, you, you know, Neil, look, you've been around this game this longer, longer than I have. There's a lot of players who, like, the toughest part of their day is, like, somebody got their food order wrong as a child. They've been pampered, silver spoon, travel ball, all that. And here's a guy who didn't have any of that, and yet he overcame all that, doesn't hold it against anybody. He said, if anything, the motivation is just knowing that he's a good example for people that, hey, you can get through all this stuff and also that his sister's smiling down on him. And he, his, 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 this entire team, I think, has really embraced Zach so far in this first week of camp, and he's really one of the few new guys. I mean, that's been a big part of the talk, too, is continuity. I know you talked to a lot of guys about that. Yeah, it's interesting because they got rid of 16 guys that were on the 40-man roster or on the injured list at the end of last season, and yet only brought in two. I mean, I'm not really good at math, but something seemed odd about that. But you realize that they had so much, you know, op so many options here, so much talent they felt here to fill from within. We know we talked many times on your podcast as well about where they're going to get a left-handed bat. They decided, at least to this point, to not. 
that Josh Lowe could be that guy, that having a healthy Brandon Lau and Wander Franco will help fill that void as well to make up the 200 runs or so they lost. But, yeah, I, I just think the fact that they have so many guys, they have young guys that are going to step up, they have people that fill the roster out, to open camp with only two new faces on the 40-man roster. I, I didn't have the ability to go back and look through that, but I can't imagine that's ever happened before, at least certainly under this regime, if, if at all, in Ray's history. And Ryan Thompson, I think, was one of the guys who we spoke to in the past week who really talked about, I mean, who, who knows how it'll play out over the course of the year, but there's a different feeling in the clubhouse from having all those guys back and together and knowing one another. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a certain familiarity. You know, obviously the coaching staff's been together for a while. You know, they, some changes there, but also some continuity. So I, I think you just have a feeling that, you know, the people that are being promoted are from within the system. So while there's a new coach, new bullpen coach, Jorge Moncada, a lot of these guys had him when they were in the minor leagues somewhere. So it's not somebody coming in with different ideas. They're all pushing the same direction. Uh, now, look, if they'd gone out and, and got Juan Soto, everybody would say, oh, change is good. You just added a great player. But they decided that the players available to them weren't going to make that big of a difference. So change is bad. Continuity is good. See what they have. The one benefit is there's an escape hatch here, Neil. If, if this doesn't work, if they're sitting there in late May, early June, and that offense is still struggling, you know, they have time to go get somebody mm -hmm. still. And Eric Neander, you know, he says a couple things, uh, kind of some catchphrases. And one is there's no deadline on acquisitions until July 31st. The other one, you only have to win by one. So if they make their pitching and defense that much better, they can offset a little bit of a lack of offense. All you have to have is one more than the other team. And the only issues you're going to have with continuity in this camp are what's coming up, and that's the World Baseball Classic. We're going to have a lot of guys leaving, which means a lot of opportunity for some young players to get more at-bats than normal. Yeah, I mean, there's eight uh, guys on the Major League roster and four guys on minor league invites who are all going to go play in the WBC, barring you know a late change or an injury or something. And uh, part of that is both catchers, Beth and Corda Mejia. And that, that seems, and I know Kevin Cash was asked the other day and said no big deal because it's not a lot of new pitchers, but... There is a continuity and a bonding with your catchers that I think happens during the spring, especially with the new pitch timer rules, with the new pickoff rules. So that maybe is something that is a little bit of an issue. Uh, Wander Franco will be gone. Uh, but there'll be some opportunity. Randy Rosarena will be gone. Paredes will be gone. Aranda will be gone. So there's going to be some infield time available. And I don't think it's a coincidence that two of the Rays' better position player prospects, Curtis Mead and Kyle, Manzardo, Kyle Manzardo, are infielders, and Kevin Cash said they're going to get an opportunity to play because there's going to be some time available. That actually is a nice little benefit for the Rays. It is. Uh, and the other thing which you alluded to is all the rule changes. And here in this second week of camp, we're really going to get to see those in play. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and I don't know if many other teams are doing this. I certainly don't think every other team is doing this, but a really smart move by the Rays, a very aggressive, proactive move. Uh, they're going to have live batting practice the rest of this week, which for those of us that the jargon essentially means the pitchers throw like it's a game the hitters bat like it's a game they don't run out the ball after they hit it but they bat so rather than just do that simulated the Rays are going to bring in some triple-a umpires they're also going to have the pitch clocks up so that the pitchers and the hitters get used to it the umps are going to call balls and strikes but they are going to enforce the time limit just to get these guys used to it I mean I don't know you you've seen more minor league baseball certainly than I have and they had that in the minor leagues the last few years I think those players probably are a little more adaptable. Major leaguers sometimes push back on things like that. Kevin Cash's theory is it's actually going to be tougher on the hitters than on the pitchers because the pitchers really control now, almost like a quarterback. They can step on the mound and kind of run that play clock down to zero before they snap the ball. Same thing. They can run that timer down to one or zero before they throw the pitch. I think it's probably going to be one of the more intriguing things when we get into spring training games, really, at the end of this week. Yeah, and that was smart by Major League Baseball, and we criticized them, or at least I criticized them plenty for things they do. 
a few years ago when they put the catcher collision rule in with what four days left in spring training or five days left uh, this year they've made it very clear it's going to be implemented for the start of spring training and they've told the umpires to enforce it now maybe there'll be a little looser enforcement the first week or so but they want these guys getting used to it and get that extra month of reps of getting familiar with it because look it you know it, it might just be a ball it's a, just a ball or a strike is the penalty but you can imagine some crucial situations where that could actually impact a game or even change a game and Mark will be following all of those situations as spring goes on. Topper, thanks very much for a few minutes. Anytime, Neil. We have found that the sun is very strong here at Disney. Appreciate the time of one Mark Topkin and all of our guests. Again, Kyle Crick, Trevor Kelly, and Kevin Kelly, three relievers trying to make the team. Uh, here's our upcoming schedule that I want to make sure you're aware of, too. Saturday and Sunday, of course, we're on the air with Rays Baseball, and Dave and Andy will have the call, and I'll have some reports during those. And I'll also begin our coverage a half hour before first pitch with Countdown to Opening Day. And uh, on the show this weekend will be Eric Neander, the president of Baseball Operations, and also Brandon Lau. And, of course, you can read a whole lot about Brandon's story. Uh, we highlighted it in his offseason uh, on our blog, raceradio.mlblogs.com, and we've got all our race coverage during spring training on a daily basis there. Uh, we look forward to having you for our broadcast this weekend and countdown to opening day. Thank you so much for listening. We'll chat with you soon.